Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the sanctuary of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. It's a wonderful feeling to uh, be surrounded by the presence of the Lord. And uh, we have intercession being offered up right now during this broadcast. And uh, we are joining together with you in believing for the things that God has promised, for the things that he has laid before us to, um, to partner with him in welcoming the visitation of the kingdom. That was a big mouthful, wasn't it? We're, we're just so thankful to be in the service of the Lord, and it's great to be able to share his word with not only our congregation here in Dallas, but for uh, the benefit of all of our Saints Network family. This past Sunday, being Mother's Day here in the United States, um, the Lord directed us to the story of the first miracle that Jesus officially performed um, in his ministry on earth, and that's found in John chapter 2, the very famous uh, telling of the water into wine. And the reason I say that it's the first recorded miracle is that I firmly believe that during the 30 years of Christ being uh, on this earth, living as a, as a human, uh, and especially when he had to take responsibility for the household as the eldest son, obviously uh, as Joseph was somehow not on the scene, um, they had to walk in faith. They had to see God provide, just like you and I do. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we realize how many miracles happen in our lives on a weekly basis. How many ways God intervenes? How many ways he preserves us? How many ways that he gives favor? Uh, this is a miracle walk. It is a walk of faith. You know, a lot of people... Um, they talk about miracles. We joke. Everybody wants to see a miracle. They just never want to be in a position to need one. Uh, but so often we talk about the miraculous in church as if it is some, um, some incredible life and death scenario and God intervenes. And those things happen. Thanks be to God. He is able. But in our life, in our walk with Christ, we walk a miracle pathway. The blessing of God, the covering of God, the protection of God is continually with us. And there is no way that Jesus could be in all points tested as we are and yet without sin if he did not also live that kind of lifestyle, especially in a household where many younger siblings who were the children of Joseph and Mary uh, were in need. Mary was in need, and the Lord was the head of that house. So Mary was used to him hearing from God or them hearing from God and believing for the intervention of the Heavenly Father. That's a miracle pathway. And I don't think we... Uh, we cherish that in the way we should as believers, but we, we are a miraculous people. And um, I think that when Mary, as I said on Sunday, directed the need of that marriage feast to Jesus, uh, that was just commonplace for her. That was, that was something that she had been used to. And um, I, I do believe that very clearly the scripture says this was his first miracle in public on behalf of the populace. And uh, we shared a lot about that this past Sunday. If you did not hear that message, it is available on archive 
from the Sunday morning service on Mother's Day. But today, I could not get away with this pa- from this passage because I believe that it speaks prophetically to where we are right now. As we said on Sunday, Jesus had, by this time, just a couple of days after uh, his baptism in the Jordan with John the Baptist, he had gathered to himself by this time five disciples. There were seven more to come. When Jesus said to his mother, you know, Mom, I don't really know what to do with this. Uh, My hour has not yet come. It was obviously his hour. Things had begun, but it wasn't complete. The preparation point, the debut was not complete. And that, of course, would come when he would appear uh, to uh, take the scroll of Isaiah and read from that. Um, But the point, though, is that um, there was this was still a time of preparing and God does that with his people he before he does a thing he speaks to his friends that's what the Old Testament tells us everything begins with an intercessor that's what the scripture tells us over and over again so God just doesn't even though he moves in suddenlies even though Uh, it might seem like a surprise to everybody else. There is always a time of preparation. There is always a time of God drawing near to his people and inviting them to believe with him. Now, that is where we are right now. It's a familiar place for the saints. Seems to be the way God has moved through us, has He has uh, allowed us to take his message throughout the world, fulfilling his appointments. And we've, we've been in this position before. However, not to the degree that we're in right now. Something major is coming. Something incredible, a measure of breakthrough, a fulfillment of prophecy is truly on the doorstep. And we're being prepared. Now, I... I feel like the Lord wants us to take this message from John 2 just a little bit further and consider some other factors in regard to that preparation. It's not that I did not have other things to teach on today. I'm not filibustering a message here. Uh, In fact, yesterday when Monica Terrell and I were offering the Saints radio broadcast, The Spirit said some incredible things from uh, amazing passages of Scripture. If you've not heard that, I would would encourage you to avail yourself of that teaching. But today, let's look again at John 2 and talk about something we didn't really talk that much about this past Sunday. So maybe this is part two. Maybe it's the Spirit is just continuing this work in us. And maybe this uh, revelatory meat in the timing of God is something that we need to take some time digesting. You know, if you eat strong meat, you better know how to digest it or you have digestive problems. We don't want to have that when we're talking about the Word of God. So here in John 2, they've gathered to the feast. And in verse 7, Jesus told the servants, Fill these water pots, which were purification pots with water. They filled them up to the brim. And then he said, draw up now and bear under the governor of the feast. And they bore it. And the ruler of the feast had tasted the the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was. The servants which drew the water knew. You, you You bet they knew. That was a lot of work. And the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when people have well drunk, then that which is of a lesser quality. But you've kept the good wine until now. We know this story. We're well aware of it. The best wine comes last. But let's talk about a couple of things here, okay? Because it really is appropriate to where you... And I 
uh, and the rest of the saints are right now. First thing is the law of first issuance. We have said and seen this from the study of the word that when God presents something for the first time, you better take note because there are principles within that anointed passage that are a gold mine of understanding. This was Jesus' first public miracle. What lessons do we learn from this in the law of first issuance? Now, we talked about some of them already, but this business of filling these water pots, the water that we're in uh, within these pots was used to cleanse the guests when they arrived uh, and also to some degree these people didn't eat with chopsticks or utensils very often they would eat with their hands you had to cleanse that off too so it was a purifying type of a of a ritual there were six of these water pots the first thing that i would say is why didn't jesus just do a an old testament miracle here they were getting the wine that they had purchased from some source wine skins or some kind of serving utensils why didn't he do like what happened with the prophet with the cruise of oil that was unfailing why didn't he do that that would have stood out wouldn't it that to me that would have been much more dare i say palatable but to draw out of these pots that were for purification and the water from that then turned into this vintage that was superb, that doesn't seem, dare I say, kosher. That doesn't seem right. So there has to be something in this that is a further lesson for us. You know, of course, whatever he says to you, do it those telling words of Mary. Yeah, there is obedience. Of course. These servants were obeying a ridiculous task. But they obeyed and they worked. That's a lesson. But why six water pots? And why this purification in the time when his hour had not yet come? Well, six is the number of man. I guess the number of woman too, the number of humankind. Um, and, and I think that there's a lesson here that when God is about to initiate something uh, that is of a profound nature, of a hallmark nature, of a debuting nature, dare I say to the turning of the page into a new horizon nature, mankind needs to be cleansed mankind needs to serve and they need to make sure that every part that God identifies is summarily submitted to the spirit for purification now let's talk about this in a further way we've said over these past couple of years that God is preparing us that his spirit is searching us. His spirit is trying to cleanse us, causing us to submit things, even things that we may have forgotten, not in a guilty way, but in a submitting way. That's been happening, hasn't it? Of course it has. And I believe we've been in this process where every factor of what it means for us as humanity in our service of the heavenly. Those things are summarily being submitted to the Spirit with our open, arduous participation, yielding ourselves to God in obedience so that we might be cleansed. There's so many factors. You know, purification in the, in the New Testament was mentioned when a leper was cleansed. And we talked about leprosy in the church. There are some things that God is dealing with in us. 
And uh, I don't need to go back and revisit that message, but uh, it's whatever areas that are eaten away, whatever areas that have become uh, unclean through uh, the tearing away of the norm, that needs to be healed and cleansed. God's been touching that in us. Um, the, the birth of a baby where that child and the mother both have to go through purification. That's also mentioned. And I think that we're bringing something to birth. And um, we've got to be made ready for that. Uh, if we draw near, God will draw near. And of course, there are many dimensions of this, not the least of which is submitting ourselves to the Spirit, or asking for the sprinkling of the blood uh, upon us. Uh, but, but that is also there. And this is the third instance of purifying in the New Testament. And this is opening ourselves to the debut of something new in ministry that God is wanting. So those three things are specifically utilized in the scripture for a purification process. Now, if you want to take it a little bit further, remember, here is Jesus' first miracle publicly, and uh, it's at a wedding. At the Last Supper, or the Lord's Supper, Jesus greeted his disciples to wash their feet. Now, that wasn't technically a purification process, but it was something that was uh, humility, and it really signified them going forward into the new, taking new steps forward, the servant being the greatest of all. And um, so I think that that parallel between the first miracle and the, um, and, the, and the Lord's Supper, where the disciples were being positioned to, to be launched forward into something that had been prophesied, but none of them really recognized. And I, in fairness, I can't blame them. So this is a purification time. There's lots of areas that God has been touching in my life. Areas where I, I thought I was displaying humility. And some of those areas, don't shout me down now just because I'm preaching good because I'm talking to you too. Some of those areas, uh, I would say sincerely that I was being submissive, but that was only the first few layers of who I am. Down deep, I was still questioning. And we're all human, we do this. Whether we admit it or not is another story. Sometimes we say we're being humble and we depict it and we're sincerely trying to do it, but yet in the midst of that humility, there's a lot of suppression that's going on. And then we'll say, oh, I had to die to self. I had to die to flesh. And that's true. I mean, you discipline yourself through the power of the Spirit. But God was taking it a lot deeper. And, um, you know, another factor is that, you know, when we talk about the 30, 60, 100-fold, we talked about the 30 representing the, um, the people of uh, uh, the mighty men. And then we talked about the 60 where uh, people are actually expanding that and being uh, beginning to take the land a bit more. Well, six is part of that. And um, But the hundredfold then is when you've done these things and God's about to launch a new dimension of the kingdom and you're gatekeepers. That's, that's an incredible addition. So six here is very significant and being cleansed is very significant and it is work it's obedience you know the lord could have done it another way he could just pour out new wine he could he could have created something uh, out of the air as it were he was fully god but instead he did this he tested obedience he did something that had to do with purification and in the number of men and women we're there right now 
Now let's talk about the next thing that we don't often talk about. What in the world was the governor of the feast, the ruler of the feast? Reminds me of that song uh, from Les Mis, Master of the House, Keeper of the Inn. Da, 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 I don't remember the words. But um, this, this person, if you look at it, it uh, let me t- touch one other thing, though. With the purification, you'll notice that part, I didn't w- want to forget this, uh, part of it was our friend Cathardos. And to make something clean so that it flows properly, you're removing blockages and hindrances. That also needs to be noted with this purification. But now, this keeper or the governor of the feast, um, I researched this a bit. It was kind of fascinating because this guy was set up usually uh, in a configuration of three types of sofas, kind of on the ground and he would be up there with them. They would be reclining or resting, not in chairs, but on this. And um, he would be up there with the bridal party and the notables. And they would all be reclining. Um, I, he, he was over the overall supervision of what was going on. He would lay out the, the places where the the hoi polloi, the people would be reclined, and he would he would oversee a supervision of the of the main of the main flow of the um, of the proceeding. Now, the caterer, and that's my term, the one that was responsible for the food and the servants and the the wine, as it were. Um, they had another job. This guy was kind of like the, this governor was kind of like the overall person, maybe the wedding coordinator itself, maybe. And these people are all stretched out. You know, this is kind of what happened at the Lord's Supper, where they were, they weren't sitting at a table in Queen Anne chairs. They were kind of reclined. And stretched out. This is why it was so easy for John the Beloved to be reclining at the right side of Jesus and to where he could just lay his head over on Jesus' chest because they were positioned that way. They weren't sitting there like a couple, you know, and, you know, he's got his head, put your head on my shoulder. They were extended there. And it's funny if you read that, you know, John is over there. They want to know who's uh, at, at the Lord's Supper. They want to know who's going to betray the Lord. And it says Peter beckoned to John since John was over there to ask the Lord who it was. And it's funny, the beckoning was a term that was kind of like a nod. Um, we've all done this. Did you see somebody and you don't want to say something and you kind of cork your neck over and, you know, and, and people in society, they know what that means. You know, you, you don't even have to say anything. You just wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Um, but they were reclined. So this guy is up there, and he kind of, to me, represents the general church or religion. He, he, he's in charge of things. And even, even what he says was, you know, normally what we do is we make sure that the best wine is first. And then after everybody gets smashed, how about well drunk? Some of you purists are cringing right now. You, your, your head's moving the other way. But he said after everybody has been satiated, then you serve a lesser quality wine. This would never go in France. No, 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 no. But, you know, this is what he's saying. And it reminds me of churches. You know, we've got to... We've got to be flashy. You know, we've got to be the, the place with the best, the in place to be. And we're going to have them come in and we're going to rock them out with some killer tunes and songs. And everybody's going to be jazzed. 
And then after they're here and they're fellowshipping, they're checking out the cry, crowd, they're, they're saying, ooh, this is so cool, man. If I know anything, I'm in the spirit of the Lord. Then they're not even going to notice that they're being served baby food. That's just the truth. Nothing of substance. No meat. But they sure know how to come in. And boy, we can, we can have the lights flashing. We can even have smoke coming up. And, you know, it's just perfect timing. You know, we can put scenes up on the screens that really emote some kind of a soul-jerking kind of a thing, you know. This guy is really saying, okay, here's how you have... This is why I'm here. I can tell you the ambiance. I can tell you how to do it. He wasn't really complimenting the wine. He was, he was, but he was saying, I don't know, this doesn't follow the protocol. You know, I, I know how to work a group and you really flipped it here. The wine that the Lord is going to bring through the service and, you know, it, it's debated. You look at commentaries, it's anywhere from 150 to 180, what we would say is gallons of great wine. Not only did these people at the feast uh, enjoy themselves, but there was enough left over for that couple to be able to sell that and to have a nice little nest egg. See how good the Lord is? Um, but... Nobody knows where it came from. It says it here. The servants knew. Jesus knew. His five disciples and his mom knew. But nobody stood up and said, Oh, all hail King Jesus. You know, they didn't say, Oh, you know, let me tell you about this wine now. Just want to make sure the credit goes where credit is due. All these servants, who are you? Stand up. And where's the guy who told you to do this? Jesus? Who well, Jesus? Uh, aren't you Joseph's son? Stand up, please. Big round of applause. Nothing. Jesus wasn't walking through the crowd. You know what? That goofball up there on the, on the leaning couches, he didn't even mention me. This was my miracle. Nothing. Now, this is what we should be prepared for. And I have to admit that, you know, when you're an intercessor and you're laboring and then the answer comes and the wine is flowing, and nobody notices. In fact, everybody is celebrating. The whole wedding group was being blessed. The, the keeper of the feast, the, 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 the wine... Uh, distributor, the caterer, they're all happy. Not one word is being mentioned as to how that happened. Maybe this is the sixth pot of cleansing. Because the essence of every intercessor is the goal. It's not the acclaim you do things as under the Lord, and you don't just say it. You don't put on a false martyria cloak. You've got to make sure that way down deep it's cleansed so that the greater good of what God is wanting to communicate is, is fulfilled. And it reminds me of that Rick Pino song about pioneer it's it's one of my favorites it may not be for one of you because it doesn't jerk tears but you know if you're a pioneer in the lord if you're a forerunner you're gonna you're gonna break ground and that's your job with god and it's a privileged job you're walking with him it's the journey you're discovering you're 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 engaged in that Parats, and um, you know you you may never be acknowledged. Others will come, as the song said, and do it quicker and better than you, faster than you. They're building off of what God did, 
in large part in partnership with you and perhaps with others that are also unknown that God's been using. Are we ready for that? You say, oh, I just want to please the Lord. I understand that, and I believe that's sincere. But the servant of all is the greatest of all. The, the one that partners with the Lord here is, um, is the one that is, that is really being the agent that God uses to bring this thing about. But when it comes, there are no accolades. There's no, you did such a great job. I'm speaking to myself. I'm speaking to my saints family here. Because uh, we have to cherish the journey and the partnership. When the breakthrough comes, we rejoice in it. But we have to know that it's a, a total measure of anonymity that Jesus knows and the servants know, the disciples know. Nobody else at that place really knew. It's what the scripture says. Uh, just so you don't think that I'm... Uh, uh, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. Underline that. Well, don't underline it. Note that. Can we really do that? I mean, the enemy will try every way he can to snatch... Um, to snatch victory from you. I mean, remember when... Um, here's an illustration. You may not view it in this way. When uh, I will sing unto the Lord, for he is triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. They come across the Red Sea. There they are. They've all seen this great miracle uh, the army of uh, Pharaoh was summarily destroyed. They, the people of God were free and they were made wealthy. What happens? Miriam, who's playing the tambourine and singing and displaying praise to the Lord, next thing you know, she and Aaron are royally ticked off because they don't like this sudden influence of Moses' wife, and they start complaining. Why? Well, there are many reasons. God wasn't happy with any of them, but I dare say part of it was this. We were the ones that were with Moses. We were the ones that helped people through this arduous process of going through that dried seabed we saw the victory we suffered through the plagues we were there singing unto the Lord on that night when the firstborn was killed we had to face that what miracles that were what miracles those were right but now here suddenly is this person who didn't bother to come with him into Egypt in fact when she sent him away, she wasn't really gracious about it. And now she's here. We're not getting any acclaim. She's being brought forward. We're losing our place. I don't mean to milk this. It was important to God. Read it for yourself. Uh, maybe this is part of the leprosy that was indicated that needs to be cleansed away. As we're serving the Lord in preparation for the debut of what we all know is coming, the hour is here, but it's not yet come. Here's where our title, not yet. What are we doing? Yes, we're serving the Lord, but we better really intercede and allow him to cleanse us. Because that cleansing is the seed for the miracle of the wine. Can we do this? 
can we? Will we? You know, our enemy is trying every way he can in this corrupt spiritual atmosphere that is engulfing the world where right is wrong and wrong is right uh, or deemed that way, uh, where wickedness is triumphed and promoted and the people of God and uh, the, the Christian faith upon which this country was founded, the Judeo-Christian ethic, is being trampled publicly. Um, there's, there are things that I need to be cleansed of in my view of what's going on in our nation. How about you? It's not that we ignore or dismiss. Right is still right. Wrong is still wrong. But if, if we're going to part, partner with God, we've got to forgive as we've forgiven, at least so that we can be a pure representative of the kingdom, a pure representative of the Lord. Elijah didn't do this. Moses didn't do this as they were ready to move forward into the promised land or into the place where uh, Ahab thrown down, Jezebel thrown down, they just could not, maybe would not, abandon things that were deep settled about what they felt regarding the people that surrounded them and the wickedness that was continually bombarding the camp of righteousness. Can we, before the Lord, recognize this possibility in our lives and be cleansed? Are we willing to do that? You know, I've been in the church, in, in church ministry, all my life. My, my father was not a pastor. He would go and preach. His father was. But he would go and preach at the mission, the rescue missions on Saturday nights. And, you know, we were at church all the time. So I grew up in ministry. But I, our teaching about the end times and the rapture was always um, things are going to get bad. It's going to be wicked as it was in the days of Noah. And God's going to take us out of here and the world is going to be in for it. And we kind of rejoiced at that. Maybe, maybe as we're, once the euphoria of being caught away would happen, we would be looking down, kind of smirking and saying, See, I told you! Only God can cleanse that so that we're pure. How are we going to be as the, the witnesses? We studied about this recently. How can, how can God entrust true power to us to represent his kingdom if we've got a lot of carnality mixed in with that power? Uh, that's not the way God is going to entrust us. And we've got to be cleansed. So there are a lot of factors. You personally, do you feel like God has let you down? Do you feel like things should have happened and they didn't happen the way you thought they should and you're kind of miffed, even though you'd never admit it, at God? That's got to be cleansed. You've got you to dip deep in one of these pots. What about the people that you don't think are deserving of this wonderful, fresh thing that you know God's releasing? There were a lot of mouths at this feast that probably didn't deserve this good wine, this heavenly wine, but yet they're imbibing it. I'm not there, but I just know the way wedding feasts are. <laughs> there are a lot of people there, and you think, who are they? Did they crash this event? Why are they here? Oh, that old gnarly uncle J Jacob is over there. You know, who let him in? They're all drinking this wine. Can we just let God pour it out where he wants? Let him be the judge? Man, that's, 
difficult. Um, there's a lot of other factors. The, the humility. If some of us did a miracle like this, we would, we would say we were humble. We're just serving the Lord. It's just for His glory. But we sure, whatever, want everybody to know that, look, we did this. Where were you? We prayed. And look what God did. We want some kind of acknowledgement, if for no other reason, of the, of the principle of intercession. But really, the only ones that are going to benefit from that are the lessons learned among the disciples. And you can't teach those with any kind of animus or pride. God promotes the humble. Can we be cleansed of that? Say, I'm not just t talking to you. I'm talking to me. I, I readily admit that I need a good scrubbing here. And I'm trying. But this is part of the not yet. It's not just that Jesus had seven more disciples to fill. It's not just that this was most likely a gift to Mary to show her not only has God provided in my house, but God is going to use this miracle child of yours to do things that are going to be astounding. And here it is in your extended family, Mary, and um, this should encourage you that what's going to come next is, is an ongoing demonstration of what Gabriel told you and what God did. But that's going to be enough. If we really say to God be the glory and that he won't share his glory, I love that Kenneth Prosh song, we are not another. I won't share my glory with another. We are not another. But remember what God said to Moses when Moses said, show me your face. And God says, you can't look at my face. In other words, you're not going to be able to be in the inner workings to counsel me as to what I'm doing. But I tell you what, I'm going to, cover you with my hand, that hand of partnership that's empty, by the way, at the beginning. And I'm going to shield you here in the cleft of the rock in this gap that I have called you to serve. And you're not going to be able to see my glory. You're going to see after it's passed by. And you're going to see what I've done. Isn't that what it says? Or am I making something up? I don't think so. I know that story very well. And I, not as much as I want to. I want God to show me more. And he will because the word's alive. But we have to let God do what he's going to do. And we're not going to counsel him. And um, when we say to God be the glory, it's our part in that is to serve him. And we have to be satisfied as a human being that God alone knows. And that, you know, we are not another. That's true. But our participation in the glory is being willing to intercede and to cherish that seed of faith and to believe for the timing of the Lord and, and to watch as it passes by and to see the fruit of it. We've got to rejoice in that as we should because that's what we'll be doing through eternity. But we've got to make sure that all six of these measures communicated in this cleansing have their perfect work because from that, comes the new wine. Do you see that? So the not yet of this sermon says that God is still doing this work. And the magnitude of this first miracle uh, was, was not communicated well enough in this season by the depth of what we said this past Sunday. As, as blessed as that was. God is with us. God is with you. And you will, um, 
you'll have to see yourself in this thing. You know, there are going to be others coming. You know, let's see. Who, who do we have with the disciples here? You had Mary. You had Andrew and John. You had Andrew's brother, Peter. You had Philip. And you had Nathaniel. Those five. Does five ring any bells to you? The fivefold proclamation of the Lord. You have you have each of these men with incredible gifts, each one very different from the other. Anytime you start pegging the fivefold, people get confused. I don't know why, because it's indicative of how God proclaims a thing. It's how the mind of Christ operates. Um, you see it in God's declaration to Adam, God's declaration to uh, Noah, God's declaration to Joel, God's declaration on Acts 2, the birth of the Ecclesia Church, and many other places. We've studied this. N you know, Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree, getting revelation from God, seeing the heavens open and the angels of God ascending in D7. These are Jesus' words. Look at it in that passage right in the chapter right before. That is the teacher. Peter is the rock. He's kind of like the pastor. He is there. He's powerful. Um, John the Beloved, both Philip and Nathaniel, Philip and Andrew seem to be very creative, very innovative. You know, it was Andrew that came to the Lord with the little boy's fish and, and bread. Somehow he found that and brought it. Um, you have evangelistic gift communicated here, and you have prophetic gift indicated here. Um, what are we missing? The apostolic? Who might that be? Could it be John? John is, through the Spirit, the author of this book. What has he provided in his epistles and in the book of Revelation? If that's not an apostolic telling, I don't know what it is. What is? It was John, as we mentioned earlier, who was reclining at the right hand of Jesus. That's where we receive an apostolic message. So here is a fivefold component right here with disciples watching this. Do you know that seven others are coming? What do you think these guys think about that? Do you think that they're going to be elitists when others start coming? Because remember what we've said, very often the opponent of the new move of God was the proponent of the last move, which is the principle of getting rid of leaven at every type of communion table we share. There are a lot of lessons here. Well, there are a lot of ways we need to be asking the Spirit to search us because mine hour is not yet come. It's happening, but there's still things that God wants us to do so that we be ready. But we've got to be willing. We've, we've got to recognize this is going on. We can't just apply the principles and say, well, I know the way God moves. We've got to be an intercessor. We've got to hear from God. We've got to make declaration. We've got to find it in the Word and, and really ex extrapolate that way. These are all great. We've got to be on our face before God and proscuneo. You can do all these principles and yet not be cleansed in the way the Spirit, the Spirit wants for what's coming. I pray that we're participating fully in the not yet because it is coming. It's on the doorstep. All of these are factors that only the Spirit knows what you're dealing with. This is not a guilt trip. Oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. That doesn't do anything. I see crocodile tears out of grandkids at times. And I know that even though it's just sweet to see them down their cheeks, it's not really 
this, the essence of what's going on there. You know, the other day, Levi, uh, my little grandson, was being fed his bottle. Grandma was trying to burp him in the middle of the bottle. And Levi does not like it when you take away that bottle, even for a moment. He's learned nothing. He just wants to eat it. And he was just crying, and the tears were coming down out of those little eyes. What a sweet little child. I came over behind him, and I put my hand on his face. I said, it's okay, buddy. And he looked at me, and then he just wailed more. Were those tears genuine, or were they immature? So God is not looking for uh, an outward demonstration. By this time, the depth of where God should have you in refinement is, is very deep. Let the Spirit do His work. That, to me, is the... You say, what is the main message of this first miracle? Well, there, there are major ones everywhere, but the center of it was the timing of God how God prepares for a debut of a breakthrough. And the star of the show that Jesus used, of course, he's the star, but it's these cleansing pots. Are you willing, as a human, to let the Spirit cleanse away anything that would block you, anything that would be unclean, that would hinder and this is, these are, dare I say, high-level components. It's the refining of our faith that keeps being tried. Again, it's not a guilt trip. It's a partnership with the Lord. You've got to view it that way. And God is with you. So this is our message for the day. And I firmly believe that the Spirit is uh, wanting this week to be one of anticipation and preparation for what is coming. The new wine of the kingdom. Let's be that kind of partner with the Lord. Let's be that kind of servant because it's his work, not ours. And the only one we should be wanting to please is him. I speak blessing over you. Thanks so much for your continued work as an intercessor, as a saint. And I pray that God will continue to do his unique work in each of us and that we will be judged by the Spirit as being ready. I want that. Don't you? Till next time, may God bless you all, and uh, we're, we're really honored to be serving Him together with you. God bless you, and goodbye.